Being a disciple of Jesus is a morally demanding matter. Living for Jesus contains a number of surprises, one of which is the fact that we, when we love Jesus, will face certain conflicts. There are those who believe that once they commit themselves to Christ, life will be a bed of roses. They'll have no more problems, no more difficulties. But that's not what the Bible says. Instead, not only are the channels of God's blessing up, opened to those who follow Christ, but we also face dimensions of evil, both outside and within. One of the things that gives most concern to Christians uh, throughout the world is the whole question of temptation. It can cause people all kinds of heartbreak and even spiritual depression. Tertullian was one of the early church leaders. He lived during the last half of the second century and the first half of the third century. And he says that Jesus said, no one can obtain the kingdom of heaven who has not passed through temptation. Now, of course, we have no way of knowing whether Jesus actually did say that or not. But it doesn't mean that the statement itself is not true. The statement is true, that no one can obtain the kingdom of heaven who has not passed through temptation. For temptation is part and parcel of every Christian's experience. If we entertained any doubts about whether we should face temptation or not, then what we have to do is look at the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, which is really a marvelous summary of the Christian life and the ways in which we need God's grace to live it. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Protect us from temptation. Temptation comes from Satan, who sought to allure Jesus into the wilderness and who will seek to allure us and to lead us into sin. And so as we look at this subject of temptation tonight, I want to do so by looking at two verses in that chapter we read together from Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So I want us to look at this incident and to learn certain lessons from it. And the first thing I want you to notice is this. When the event occurred. When the event occurred. And there are two points worth making about this. First of all, the incident occurs immediately after Jesus was baptized. Jesus had come to the River Jordan where John was uh, ministering and where John was baptizing people. And Jesus came to be baptized by John. And this was something of great spiritual significance. Great spiritual significance for Jesus. And great spiritual significance for us. For Jesus did not need to be baptized. He didn't need his sins to be washed away. But he came to be baptized 
in order to identify with those whom he came to save. And when he came up out of the river Jordan after his baptism, God spoke and God testified as to who Jesus was. And it was immediately following this spiritual experience, this time of spiritual blessing, this significant spiritual time in the life of Jesus, that he was led into the wilderness to do battle with Satan. The time of great spiritual blessing and of fierce spiritual attack and satanic attack came together. And how often this is the case in the individual Christian's life and in the life and the witness of the church. So often it is times after a time of real spiritual blessing that we find that we are tempted strongly. I remember probably over 50 years ago, we held a very successful mission in my home congregation. It had been planned for months. Visitors had been trained. Prayer had been offered up. Every fringe member of the congregation had been visited. A lot of work had gone into this preparation for this mission. And the two weeks of services had been well attended and God had richly blessed us. And then, imagine the disappointment when a major row broke out in the Kirk session immediately after the mission. The session was left in disarray and the clerk of session was threatening to resign. Spiritual blessing, fierce satanic attack. That's how Satan often works. When God's Spirit is blessing, Satan will seek to undo the work. What a vital lesson we can learn from this and how we need to prepare ourselves against such an attack. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives or in the life of our congregation, then we should be prepared for a particularly strong attack from Satan. And we should be ready, watching and praying against such an attack. This was also a significant moment for Jesus. Jesus was simply setting out on his public ministry. Jesus had come into this world, sent from the Father, to be the savior of the world. And as he went through the baptism and then as he wrestled in the wilderness with, with the temptation, he must have been thinking and wrestling with the, how he would fulfill the role, how he would fulfill his mission. And so Satan tempts him at that very point. This is borne out by the record of this incident in the Gospels of Mark and Luke where we are told the three temptations that Jesus had to face. First of all, Satan challenges him and tempts him to turn stones into bread. The battle between the spiritual and the material. The spiritual and the material. 
And in the society in which we live, where materialism is so prevalent, where materialism is the God to so many, this is a challenge for us. For Jesus came to fulfill his spiritual mission. The second temptation that uh, Jesus faced, the devil took him up onto a high mountain so that he could see the country for miles and miles around. And he said, just bow down, and all this is yours. And this was the temptation of compromise. Just compromise a little, Jesus. Just bow down to me a little, Jesus, and all this will be yours. And of course, we're all challenged to compromise. Christians are challenged to compromise their standards. Just lower them a little bit so that people will come to church. Lower your standards, the way of compromise. And then the devil took him up onto the high mount, uh, up to the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself off and the angel was come and rescue you. Here was the lure of the spectacular. Do something spectacular, Jesus, and everybody will love you. And there's a challenge for us that we can feel that if we do something spectacular, society will turn to the church. The challenge of materialism, the challenge of compromise, the challenge of spectacular, being spectacular, all these challenges still face us today. Each temptation that the devil used against Jesus was to force him to divert from the way that God wanted him to go. It was on this very point that Satan attacked Jesus on many other occasions. Do you remember how at Caesarea Philippi, when he and his disciples had gone up to Caesarea Philippi, and he had asked them, who do men say that I am? And he tried to explain to them that his was the way of the cross, the way of sacrifice, and Peter rebuked him. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not on the side of God, but of men. And it was, his min it was the issue of his ministry, wasn't it, that Jesus had to wrestle with in the Garden of Gethsemane as he wrestled with what lay ahead. This is the way Satan works. He probes all facets of our personalities, and when he finds a spot that he feels might be vulnerable, then that's where he will attack that is the spot in which he will concentrate. He probed Jonah on the point of his patriotism. Jonah, who was a proud Jew. And when God called him to go to the Gentile Ninevites to preach the message of his love, Satan attacked, and Jonah's sectarian heckles were raised, and he went in the other direction. Satan probed David at the point of his sexual desire. And David fell by sinning with Bathsheba. And he probed Paul through the weakness of his body. 
we must be watching for Satan because he will attack us and he will attack us in this vision, fashion. Sorry, He will seek to find a vulnerable spot in your life and mine and if he finds it, he will attack us there. We must be in our guard. We must be prepared to leave off doing certain things <coughs> if we feel that they may leave us open to attack. We must be ready to avoid certain places, no matter what it costs in misunderstanding and loss of friendship, rather than fall victim to Satan, who is always seeking to pull us down and to pull the church down. So there was significance in the event. It happened at a time of spiritual blessing. But there's also significance in who was tempted. Who was tempted? Jesus is the unique Son of God. God had declared this in verse 11. Jesus is the divine Savior who came into the world that he might be crucified for sin. And he threw down the gauntlet to Satan at his baptism. Now Satan counterattacks. But the important thing to realize here is that Jesus was not a sinner. The Bible continually testifies to the fact that Jesus was without sin. So what we want to notice here is that Jesus was tempted. Not because he was wicked. Not because he was a sinner but because he was important. He was important in God's plan for the salvation of men and women. This leads us to one of four lessons I feel we can learn here. Temptation is not removed when a person becomes a Christian. Jesus was tempted, yet he was without sin. Jesus was tempted because of his uniqueness, because of his significance in God's plan of salvation. And each and every Christian is important to God. God cared for us so much that Christ died for us on the cross. God has called us to himself not to be part, and to, uh, call, <coughs> sorry, God has called us to himself and to be part of his body, the church. He has gifted us individually and he's called us to play a particular role in his church. He has made each of us unique. There is no one else like you in the whole world. You are a one-off. Because we are important to God, Satan seeks to hinder our relationship with God and Satan seeks to hinder our service for God. The notion that when a person becomes a Christian, trials and pressures and problems and temptations are removed is totally unbiblical. It would be truer to say that as soon as a person commits his or her life to Christ, these things increase. And the reason is obvious. As soon as a person becomes a friend of God, he or she becomes the sworn enemy of Satan, just as Jesus was the sworn enemy of Satan. <coughs> the second lesson we learn here is that temptation is not reduced by a Christian's spiritual progress. 
Jesus was the sinless son of God, standing in that unique relationship to his heavenly father. No matter how far any of us have progressed in our Christian life, we cannot claim to stand in the same position before God as Jesus did and as Jesus does. Yet he was tempted during his earthly ministry. So no amount of victory gained, no amount of knowledge accumulated, no amount of good works done, no offices held will guarantee that the devil will stand off or reduce the frequency or the ferocity of his, ta- of his attacks. The fact is that temptation is the common lifelong experience of every person everywhere. And Paul says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man in 1 Corinthians 10. So whether you're a Christian of many years standing or whether you have recently become a Christian, the fact is that you will be tempted just as the Savior was tempted. Thirdly, we learn that temptation is not sin, nor an indication of failure. Jesus was the sinless Son of God, and yet nobody on earth has been subject to more constant attacks from the devil than he was. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this, temptation that, sorry, that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin, yet without sin. John Blanchard comments, that single superb statement should immediately put all our temptation in the right perspective, yet without sin. It's not the temptation that is sin. It is the yielding to temptation that is the sin. That's what the famous old hymn teaches us, isn't it? Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. This is the lesson we need to learn. Temptation is not an indication of failure. Indeed, it's the opposite. (coughs) It can be an indication of our importance to God. The fourth thing I want you to notice here is that because Christ was tempted... He is able to help those who are tempted. If we go back to the letter to the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews expresses this very clearly for us in chapter 2. For because he himself has suffered and be tempted, he is able to help those who were tempted or who are tempted. What a wonderful comfort that ought to be to every Christian. That we do not face the tempter on our own strength, but we have beside us one who has faced the same pressures, one who has faced the same temptations, and is therefore able to help us and to strengthen us in the midst of that temptation. So the significance of the person who was tempted is this. Temptation is not removed when a person becomes a Christian. Temptation is not reduced by a Christian's spiritual standing. And temptation is not a sin or an indication of failure. Christ helps those who are tempted. 
So let's draw these thoughts together. What lessons can we learn from all of this? This message has great significance for us as we seek to live for Jesus day in and day out. As we seek to face the world as Christians. We can draw two main lessons for our comfort and blessing. There's no need for despair under the pressure of temptation. When we feel that we are facing constant temptation, possibly in one area of our lives, we can easily give up in despair. But there's no need for it. It is easy to be weakened by constant temptation, to get wearied and worn by it, to get dragged into depression, to feel that somehow your constant temptation must mean that you're a failure as a Christian and that you must have grieved God in such a way that he has deserted you. From there, it is easy to think that you might as well give up, back down, and sell out. But that is the devil's lie. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. There is no need to despair. The reason for constant temptation is not that we're weak spiritually, but that we're important spiritually. They were important to God. And Satan is trying to make us less so. The second lesson I think we can learn is this, that there's no need for defeat. <coughs> Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, you can't help birds flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building their nests in your hell. This graphic saying expresses two facts about temptation. Everyone will be tempted, but temptation can be resisted. Christ did battle with Satan while he was here on earth. And in the cross, Christ won the decisive victory over Satan. The cross is a complete victory, a decisive triumph. The powers of evil have been defeated and overthrown. So the Christian's task is to appropriate the victory already won. So we must trust in Christ. By discipline, abide in him at all times, looking unto him in times of temptation, seeking to so live close to him that sin will have no dominion over us. John says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. On the battlefield of temptation, the Christian is like, should be like the Roman Emperor Constantine. We must lift up our eyes to the cross and see in letters of fire these words, in this sign conquer. Let us learn to face temptation, knowing that there's no need for despair. There's no need for defeat. Christ is beside us to help us, to strengthen us, and to enable us to overcome. To him that overcometh, God giveth a crown. Though faith we shall conquer, through faith we shall conquer, lo, often cast down. He who is our Savior, our strength will renew. Look ever to Jesus.
He will carry you through. Let us pray.